to this edition of So Important, the Interview Podcast. Well, we're rolling along since our hiatus, just as I promised, and today I'm bringing you a very special episode. My guest is Mr. David Wilson, a fellow resident of Maryland and a man with a unique avocation. He is a Revolutionary War reenactor working with colleagues at events throughout the country to bring folks a feel for the trials, tribulations, and triumphs experienced by these brave soldiers and their families, often in harsh and unforgiving conditions. David has been doing this for many years now as a member of the 1st Virginia Regiment of the Continental Line. He is also the treasurer of that organization. You can learn more about it in the show notes. We're going to break our mold a little bit for this show. We're going to hand the show over to David, who will give a condensed version of the comments he may typically make during a reenactment. I've heard David present before, and it is a powerful, moving, and captivating experience. So, David, welcome to the show. Thank you, Monty. I appreciate this chance to share my experience as a reenactor. I'll start by saying that reenacting is not a hobby that I would have thought of doing as a child or a teenager. While I was interested in history, I considered myself to be very future-oriented, focused on the space program, science fiction, and computers. I was only moderately athletic and not very outdoorsy. It wasn't until I was 23 that I went to Fort Ward Park in Alexandria, Virginia, to watch a recreated battle occurring in honor of George Washington's birthday. The event was small, but very interesting, and the hook was set. Soon after, I found a history book that included many first-person quotations and involved the reader in the experience of people rather than simply facts and figures and broad sweeps common to most histories I had read. This way of trying to understand our past is sometimes called living history, and I have found my own life changed by it. As a reenactor, my job is to portray a soldier of the American Revolution, educating the public about that period in our history. The unit I belong to is called the 1st Virginia Regiment of the Continental Line. Briefly, the 1st Virginia Regiment was formed in 1775, shortly after fighting with Britain began at Lexington and Concord. It was formed as a state regiment, intended only to fight in defense of Virginia. It was first led by the famous Patrick Henry, but he soon resigned to become governor. In 76, the regiment joined the Continental Army, formed by Congress as a unified national force. The regiment joined General Washington's army outside of New York and stayed with him until 79, fighting in many of the major actions of the war, including the famous crossing of the Delaware at Trenton, as well as Princeton, Brandywine, Germantown, Valley Forge, Monmouth Courthouse. The regiment was sent south in 79 and captured when Charleston was surrendered in May of 1780. In my time in a regiment, I've been part of reenactments of all of these battles and many more. Going to these events, fighting battles, sleeping in canvas tents, cooking over a campfire, and long marches put me into a frame of mind very different from reading the textbooks. I could find myself suddenly understanding more clearly why things happen as they did, why people made the decisions that seem so strange to us now. Why did the soldiers bother to carry so much gear for so many miles? It was because of they had all their worldly possessions. If I need a spare shirt or a blanket for a cold night, I have to carry it in my knapsack. Why did the soldiers get rid of iron cooking pots and luxury items? Because they had to walk for so many miles. I found that the sharp-looking leather shoes weren't much better than bare feet. Why did they fight so closely together, firing at such short ranges? Because the musket can barely hit a barn door, and you need your comrades close with you to protect against bayonets and cavalry. I tried live firing a musket on a range and could never hit the target at 50 yards. Why did so many of those new new recruits run in their first battle? 
because the sight of British bayonets heading toward them is viscerally terrifying. We almost never reenact actual close combat because the bayonets are so dangerous. The Battle of Trenton is the event I most remember for the intensity of the experience. During this event, we actually retraced the route that the army took, arising at four in the morning to march nine miles along the river to enter Trenton. The original battle occurred on Christmas Day, 1776. Six months earlier, there was great excitement when the Declaration of Independence was announced and 20,000 troops paraded in New York City, a number almost as large as the population of New York itself. Those young troops felt invincible. Now at Trenton, less than 3,000 ragged troops remained, all that was left of Washington's army after five months retreating from New York. As we marched quietly through the dark, cold morning, I felt I could see those desperate men trudging along with a spark of faith left to keep them going. I was spared the famous river crossing itself because only a handful of reenactors were allowed to do it, but those young men spent hours crossing the ice-choked river in sleet and snow. I had once tried to go barefoot in the snow and lasted all of 10 seconds, so I could easily begin to feel the agony of those troops who did indeed go barefoot or shot in rags that long night. Of course, reenacting has its limits. While I have only spent a few uncomfortable weekends in cold tents on wet grounds, it is only enough hardship to give me a small taste of the real thing. Despite our best efforts, Revolutionary War reenactors are almost always better dressed and more comfortable than the people whose lives we try to recreate. After a long weekend, we could take a shower, an impossibility for soldiers in the field. Every 4th of July, I attend an event at Mount Vernon. It is always blazing hot, And of course, spectators look at us in fascinated horror at our uniforms with a heavy wool coat, wool hat, and four layers of linen. My family have attended Mount Vernon with me a few times, and I sure they harbor some doubts about my mental state. Strangely enough, it never seems quite as hot to me, maybe because it is simply the normal thing to do. The type of reenacting I do does not call for acting skills because we do not attempt to portray specific individuals. That job is left to amateur and professional actors who perform living history like you may see at Mount Vernon or Williamsburg. Instead, we just represent the unit and the life of the common soldier. Also, there is little detail recorded from that time, so biographies are hard to come by. For the first Virginia, only a few individuals are known. I know of at least two of my ancestors who fought in the Revolution. Alexander Wilson served as a sergeant for one month at the Battle of Saratoga, and Matthias Honeywell served for four years in several units including at Trenton, which I described earlier. Unfortunately, I know little else about who they were. Having been at the battlefields where they worked is the closest I can come to knowing them. Here are a quick listing of some tidbits I've learned as a reenactor. The meaning of the words subtler, necessary, farb, firelock, and castramentation. I really appreciate having a roof, having sometimes woken to soaked, freezing feet in a tent. Not eating all day makes even the worst meals taste great. I learned that while trying to make fire cake, which is a bad version of matzah. Writing with a feather quill pen is a literal pain. Appreciate your keyboards and ballpoint pens. Alarm clocks are a much better way to wake up than hearing the morning cannon going off. Yes, Reveille consists of the cannon firing nearby and musicians marching up and down the tents playing loudly. And finally, a classic that many reenactors did early in their careers How to stay up all night, yes, all night, sewing a shirt because you didn't realize just how long that takes. Lastly, I found that my reenacting has shown a strange paradox in me. I support gun control and hate all the futile wars mankind keeps getting into. And yet here I am recreating our military past. 
I think I do it to cope with my revulsion of violence by trying to understand it, bring it under some control through learning about it. I also have learned that since I value history, I believe it is important to remember what happened regardless of whether we like it or if we are ashamed of it. I believe we must know our history with all the good and evils laid bare. So my recommendations for you. First, you don't have to become a reenactor, but it wouldn't hurt. However, I'm hopeful that soon you will be able to at least attend a reenactment yourself. Mount Vernon is a great place to go for that. Or you can go to another place whose history interests you. I know that it is challenging these days, but the time will come. Even a virtual visit is good. Then, when you go, really try to see the people who were there. Not as pictures on the museum walls, but see them walking the streets, talking, living their lives, maybe changing the world. It can be easy to think of these events like movies with well-scripted dialogues and beautiful sets, but they really happened to real people. Remember that we are living through history now, so connect how that feels to the events of our past. In a sense, we have all become reenactors of the influenza pandemic of 1918. Did you ever see photos of that period prior to the start of COVID? Did the sight of people in masks seem alien and distant? Could Americans ever have lived that way? Now, you know. Take advantage of the fact that major events in American history happened within driving distance of here, near Washington, D.C. Finally, some events in our past are incredibly painful to remember, but if your experience being at that place hurts you, then you are beginning to understand it. And understanding our history is essential for us to figure out what to do next. All right. Well, thank you, David. It's a, it's a fascinating little presentation. How many times have you given it now? This is the second time. It really uh, covers the topic in such a comprehensive way. And you said a few interesting things in there. Uh, you said that it's still going on in a virtual environment. And I'm just wondering how that takes place and how that's different from what you did before. Well, I would say that probably relates more to like history and, and, and historical sites that I'm encouraging people to go to because many of them still aren't fully open yet. In some cases, it's you still have to sort of virtually go to the site. It's hard to physically go to the site, or even if you do go to the site, there's less available to see. How has COVID impacted your ability to do these reenactments? Has it been on hold for a while? Uh, it's it's significantly reduced what we could do last year and is still limiting us. Uh, for example, we had a recent battle reenactment at Mount Vernon, our first in over a year. And instead of the close order drills with with two lines of men packed closely together, we now have to spread out into what is sometimes called open order, which is more more of a light infantry formation. But it's not what our what the regular infantry did. So it looks a little strange, and it's definitely we've had to do special practice just to do it. It still gives the public kind of a feel for what the battles look like and the relative closeness of everything. But we've had to make still had to make these adaptations. Uh, of course, we still wear masks when we interact with the public. So it's it's. We're doing our best with that, but it's you know it, it modifies it a little bit. Now, how many of these reenactments have you done, and how big is the uh, regiment? How many people are involved in this? We have about 150 people in the regiment, uh, which includes a mix of uh, military reenactors as well as civilian reenactors. At a large event, we might have about two dozen men in what's called the line, which is the main the main line of in battle uh, that the, the musket men show. Uh, we also have an artillery crew, which is about a dozen people. Uh, some events we might just have six or seven people, but at, for example, at Mount Vernon recently, we had about two dozen people for the, the regiment itself. And at large events with other units, 
uh, we, there can be several hundred, occasionally even a few thousand people. I think the largest one I went to was about 2,000 total reenactors. That was the re- that was the bicentennial plus 25 or 225th reenactment of the Battle of Saratoga. So that must have been a, quite an event for you guys, I mean, to, to uh, be able to do something on that scale. Yes, yes, it is because it's 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 still difficult for us to get near uh, actual figures because some of the largest battles there might have been six, eight, even 10,000 or more troops. Uh, so for us, it's hard to get uh, as good of a feel for a particularly large battle, but it does give you a better sense for the, the size and the scope of the battle as well as the incredible confusion that happens. What kind of response do you get when you do these things? We generally get a very positive response. I think that it helps that we are portraying a period of history that doesn't have much political or emotional baggage now. The British are, quote, the bad guys, but it's been a few centuries, so no one takes that too seriously. Uh, It's not like, for example, Civil War reenacting, where there's still some political connections and difficulties. So for the most part, I think people are generally very receptive to us. Are your communities distinct, or do you guys all kind of talk to each other and compare notes and things like that? We're we're pretty well divided up by individual unit as well as geography because these these units are up and down the coast. We are referred to the Continental Line, which both historically was the entire United States Army, but that's also the name of our reenactment organization, which is composed in turn of individual units. So it's the 1st Virginia Regiment of the Continental Line or the 3rd New Jersey of the Continental Line. And we don't really see them that much because just because they're, they're different parts of the country. And yeah, even at battles, we don't really socialize as much as we like, in part because we're very busy doing the events. Um, after hours, there's a bit more socialization between units, including with the, the enemy, the British units. But um, I probably don't know as many of them as I'd like to. Uh, just because it's, it's you know, with all the activities going on, we just don't have the time. So it sounds like it's actually a, a nice community of people who really feel it's important to be doing this. Uh, yes, I would agree with that. There is there is plenty of differences amongst people. There's conservatives, there's liberals, more like myself, different political types. But we all have that common shared determination to to recreate the history and to show people what things were like. That's where it seems to lead. You made the point in your presentation about the importance of knowing your history. And it seems like everyone who is doing this would share that view with you. Oh, yes. I definitely agree with that. So building on that, that it's important for people to understand the history, what is it that you hope people will take away from seeing your presentation? What do you want them to think about? And even what would you like them to do? I would like for people to understand where we came from, to understand the incredible difficulties that that were required to form the country, that independence wasn't simply something that was inevitable or that it was easy to acquire. I would like people to value what we have now, that for all of the difficulties of this country, all of the ills and the evils that we may be perpetuating today, that we were formed on a basis that makes this, that truly does make this one of the best countries in the world, a place that has opportunity to make things better. I think there's a progressivism to the revolution that isn't always appreciated in that it took this very conservative idea of government ruled purely by a king, purely by the government is all very top down and said that people can actually run themselves and make improvements to their country. And I want people to be able to take that away and just be able to better appreciate what we have now so that we don't become cynical about what we have now by not understanding where we came from. So it really comes down to encouraging people not to take things for granted, not to take for granted all the privileges and the and the rights that we have in this country. Yes, that's a good way of putting it. 
uh, just out of curiosity, do you sometimes get the skeptics who say, well, who want to discuss like historical nuances with you? And you know. we don't really have too much of that. Uh, <laughs> obviously, we tend to have families of small children. They're not going to engage too much. Most people are very interested in what we do. We've had a few people engage us a bit more. And I think I'd probably welcome more of those discussions. But I think, you know, that when you're at Mount Vernon, an event like that, it is a bit of a touristy event. So you don't have too much in the way of deep discussion. And I think that would probably be a welcome thing to have. What's one of the more fun things that you've experienced while doing this? We certainly enjoy the events themselves, but I will say we certainly also enjoy our after-hours time around the campfires. Uh, that also has its own special tradition, uh, since without the public around, we can <laughs> behave not quite uh, as correctly as we do during the day. It's been a very bonding experience, you know, just being you know, you're with the unit the entire weekend, cooking everything together, you're camping, you're sitting around the campfire for hours. And you really just get a much deeper, you know, appreciation of each other and all, you know, and all the things that we understand about each other. Had our share of uh, pranks and uh, hearing stories about the good old days, which, quite frankly, were wackier than what we do now. They managed to get away with worse stuff than we did. Well, how about an example? The unit was originally formed during the Bicentennial uh, around 1975. So that was really the heyday of reenacting. Even, you know, even when I've seen some pretty good times ourselves, it was, that was definitely the big time when you had the greatest interest for the bicentennial. Units were all very new. And so, so the events were bigger and you had, uh, just stories about people doing things in campfire with weaponry that you probably shouldn't be doing now. Um, some of, some of them are classic, like finding somebody who's had a bit too much to drink in the tent and the tents are, uh, they are open. They only open at one end. Uh, they, they're sort of like the old the pup tents that you might be that a uh, Boy Scout might be familiar with, but larger. If someone's inebriated enough, they you actually can l- remove their tent, lift it up, turn it around the other direction, and then put it back down, and then wake them up. Um, others involve actually people shooting at the tents, which we try not to do that anymore. Yeah, it's probably probably a bad idea. Yeah, it sounds like you've you've found your people, and you have a great something you must really look forward to when you get a chance to do this. Uh, yes, I do. What do you hope people will take away from this presentation and then our subsequent conversation? Well, certainly similar to what I expect for normal reenactment, which is to to express that you know to express you know that 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 sense of where we've come from and how better to understand things. But also, as I emphasize in the presentation, that that focus of trying to understand where we came from. I, I really don't like history books in many ways as, as sort of this dry topic where you memorize the facts. But to really have that sense of, you know, it's, 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 it's almost, it's almost like a religious experience in some ways of that, that sense that you're connecting back to something that happened centuries ago or thousands of years ago, dependent upon which, you know, part of history you're looking at. And just that realization, that, yes, this, this really, you know, people were really here and we are tied to that. We are changed by that. And to, you know, maybe then figure out, okay, as we make decisions about where the world should be going, as we vote, as we take actions, where does that, you know, wh- what can we do based on that? You know, with the, with the, the, with COVID, we had a pandemic to tell us before, of a century before, telling us what happened. And it was both heartening to see that in some ways we had learned from some of those lessons, in other cases we hadn't. It seems like you're doing something that you feel is really important and really fun at the same time. And uh, it seems like a great combination. Oh, thank you. That's a good way to describe it. Well, thank you for being on the show and telling us about uh, all the wonderful things that you're doing. It's, it's, you made me think about it in a way I haven't before. I now think of it as something that's pretty important and, and you're, you're teaching people without maybe without them even knowing that they're being taught. 
Well, I certainly hope so. David, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Mark. You're welcome.